Live from London, I'm Isa Suarez in for Julia Chatterley. This is First Move and here's your need to know. COVID clouds, global stocks and oil slump as Omicron dents the economic outlook. Stricter measures, the World Economic Forum is postponed as Europe brings in new restrictions and getting a boost. Moderna says its booster increases antibodies against Omicron. It's a busy Monday. Let's make a move. A warm welcome, everyone, to First Move. Great to have you with us this busy Monday. I want to begin really with a check of the global stock markets, a day when fears of the economic as well as health effects of the Omicron variant are dominating sentiment. Let's have a look at Wall Street futures and how they're looking like as we've got about 29 minutes or so until uh, bell uh, rings there, pointing to about losses of well over 1%, really a continuation of last week's sell-off. We'll try and bring you the graphic as soon as we can. Uh, the last we look is about 1% or so of investors fearing, of course, a significant jump in COVID cases in many parts of the United States. We're seeing a similar story, really, in Europe, where tighter health restrictions have gone into effect in many countries. You can see there, red arrows right across the board, uh, footy down 1%, Zetrodax almost 2%. A uh, similar picture we're seeing in Paris with the Cacajon. Uh, travel, tech, energy, financials, they're all seeing losses this Monday. If we have a quick look at crude and how it's faring. Well, Brent crude currently down almost almost 4% uh, on fears that Omicron will lessen global demand and weaken economies. It's somewhat, it's about 5% at about 9 o'clock this morning. But it's encouraging news also from Moderna about the efficacy of its vaccine against Omicron. Is a market positive? Moderna says its vaccine significantly boosts antibodies against Omicron. But fresh uncertainty over the future of President Biden's $1.7 trillion stimulus bill shows how hard it will be to reach consensus on future pandemic support, even as the US Fed begins pulling monetary support. If I show you quickly, if we over to Asia Pacific, stocks also closing lower. China announced fresh support for its economy, cutting its benchmark lending rate for the first time since the start of the pandemic. The day there closing in the red, Nikkei down at more than 2%. So let's get more on the markets in our drivers. Christine Roman joins me now. Uh, good morning, Christine. There's a lot for us to get through. <laughs> let's talk about these losses we're seeing uh, right across the board and potentially the United States too. It's just so much uncertainty out there. Fears of Omicron could de- derailing economy. What are you seeing uh, as the biggest jitters this morning? You know, I've been really looking at the oil market. Um, that's sort of the proxy for global growth hopes and, and faith in the recovery. And that hit to oil prices shows me that there's a lot of nervousness about this new phase that we're in here. We've got the Delta variant is the predominant variant still in the United States. And it is, is you know, sending people in line to get tested. And it's uh, disrupting school and it's disrupting return to work. And then Omicron is also here and, and more uh, infections expected there across the board. So you've got this moment where we're wrapping up this year, a shortened trading week. You're seeing uh, energy prices uh, decline here on those worries about what this all means around the world and the stock market falling too here. So it started last week. You know, the stock market jitters really started last week. But adding to that gloom this morning, no question, uh, all of the headlines about Omicron Mm. and also about the president's, you know, the president's legacy building agenda. Absolutely. I'm glad you brought you that. Just as you're talking, we show our viewers uh, futures, U.S. futures. I promise we were working on those graphics. There they are. Uh, S&P down, expect to be down one uh, and three tenths of a percent. Uh, worst picture there for Nasdaq. On, on the yeah. president agenda, Christine, you know, 
we saw uh, another economic shock with Senator Joe Manchin's decision not to back President Biden's Build Back Better Act. How much of this is a blow, do you think, for within the financial community and the potential impact on growth here if it doesn't go through? It's so fascinating here because you can look at this two ways. And Goldman Sachs, actually, the economist there said that there would be a little, uh, they trimmed their growth forecast for the first quarter and the second quarter next year uh, because you wouldn't have this massive investment in the economy. You wouldn't have this major new spending. And this is new spending. For example, you know, the uh, the child tax credit, that's money that right now is going into people's pockets that will not, um, at this point, be happening in, in January. So that is a blow to working families and that will you know, be a dent on economic growth. On the other side of the, the Goldman Sachs economists point out that um, if you don't uh, raise corporate taxes and you don't put restrictions on what drug companies and biotech companies can charge for sky high drug prices, that's probably good for Wall Street. That's kind of offsetting. So it's a Main Street versus Wall Street story here. There was a big investment in Main Street that looks like it's not going to happen. That could be a little hit uh, to economic growth. But for Wall Street, not raising corporate taxes, that's great news for companies that are already have record high profit such, margins. Yeah, such a good point. And although, you know, Wix, we're seeing global markets in the red, futures as well, uh, pointing to a lower open. Can't forget also the stock markets are at record highs here, Christine. Yeah, 15% return, more than that for the Dow Jones Industrial Average this year for, for NASDAQ, a big returns uh, there, 20 plus percent for the S&P 500 for people who have a 401k. It's probably, you know, your, your st- typical stock investors pretty much, uh, you know, they kind of match up with the S&P 500 and that has been just phenomenal. So you're so right, Issa. The perspective here, shortened trading week, we're getting new information on the healthcare front. Uh, we're getting new information on the president's spending front, investing in, in, in the economy. Um, so there's a lot of, I mean, there's a, a lot of noise, quite frankly, a lot of noise heading into the end of the year. So it's not, not a surprise to see investors take some off the table. Absolutely. A lot of it for, for us to, all to digest. Christine Romas, yeah. great to see you. Thanks <laughs> nice very much. To see you. Now, here in the UK, a cabinet meeting is taking place about now to discuss the government's response to the Omicron threat. It has now become the dominant strain in England as well as Scotland. Hospital admissions are rising, especially in London, where the city's mayor warns further restrictions are inevitable. Summer Dalziz has a story for you. As Britain grapples with a huge surge in COVID cases, everyone here is asking, Is there going to be a lockdown for Christmas? The Deputy Prime Minister, Dominic Raab, refused to rule out the possibility that further restrictions could come into force during this holiday season. He warned everyone to be mindful, careful about their social gatherings over the coming days. This is what else he had to say. You can't make hard and fast guarantees. Um, We have to track the data as it comes through. We know Omicron is spreading fast. We don't yet know the severity. And we're reliant on seeing that data come through and it comes through day by day. Over the weekend, the situation appearing more dire. The London mayor declaring a major incident in the capital over the surge in cases. Sadiq Khan also warning that uh, more restrictions seem inevitable. British scientific advisors as well were ringing the alarm over the weekend. They say that tougher rules need to come into force before the end of the year. Otherwise, England could potentially be looking at up to three 
thousand people a day winding up in hospital with COVID-19. These scientific advisors are urging the government to put tougher rules into force. The health secretary was also ringing the alarm in recent days, saying the doubling rate of Omicron, which doubles every two to three days, is highly concerning. Has health officials worried about the healthcare system being able to handle uh, this huge surge in positive cases over the coming hours and days? We expect Prime Minister Boris Johnson will be under increasing pressure from the medical community and from scientific advisors to potentially put tougher rules into force. But even without the government announcing tougher restrictions, many families, individuals, even businesses taking matters into their own hands, choosing to self-isolate, choosing to close their doors, either because they've been in touch with a positive case or simply to keep from getting sick. It's put a huge cloud of doubt over this Christmas season. Sam Abdulaziz, CNN, London. Thank you, Sam. Of course, we'll bring you much more from that cabinet meeting uh, the Prime Minister is chairing as soon as we have more information. Now, in Europe, too, the Omicron variant is driving COVID cases to record highs. Several governments imposed new curbs over the weekend. Germany banned travel from the UK, except for German residents. The Netherlands limited indoor gatherings to two guests. Denmark shut down nightlife venues, theatres, museums and cinemas. And a short while ago, the World Economic Forum cancelled its January meeting in Davos. Let's get more on all these threads. Cyril Vanier joins me now. And Cyril, you know, the World Economic Forum, it's the second year in a row that they are cancelling the World, the WEF summit, really. And it just goes to show the severity of uh, the crisis we're facing, which is just not over anytime soon. You know, it's crazy. I was just listening you to, listening to you rattle off that list of new restrictions pretty much across the continent. And I was thinking, if you had told these countries a year ago that uh, within 12 months, they would have vaccinated most of their population. They would have been really happy. They would have thought, well, crisis probably over then. We'll have a good 2021 Christmas and New Year's Eve. If you had told them, well, you know what? Even with a majority of your population vaccinated, you will still be contemplating lockdowns. I, I think most leaders' jaws would have dropped uh, a year ago if you had told them that. And yet that is exactly what is happening. So we're seeing countries that are taking um, uh, measures with varying degrees of severity. Those that had the highest rates of vaccination, like here in France, where 90% of those who are eligible are vaccinated. Those countries think they have a little bit more slack, a little bit more time before they impose the harshest restrictions. So here in France, all they've done is cancel the New Year's Eve um, fireworks at the Eiffel Tower and New Year's Eve celebrations, public celebrations in general. But you have those countries like Denmark that are shuttering, shutting down the whole cultural scene, like the Netherlands that have instituted this Christmas lockdown and all of these countries are really bracing for what they expect will be a surge of hospitalizations. Not only are they facing a new wave of uh, Delta-fueled infections, but they believe in the coming weeks, sometime in January, Omicron will have taken over and will have become the dominant variant in Europe. And they believe that is going to send many, many more people to hospital, Lisa. And as you're talking, we're looking at these scenes in the Netherlands, a pretty deserted street, Cyril. How is, how is mm. the lockdown there? How's that been received? Because I can tell you here, the mood here, people don't want uh, to see any sort of lockdown. They'll be able to want to be with their loved ones as we head towards Christmas, of course. Yeah, well, look, the, the, the um, prime minister there you know, said, I don't, I don't want to do this. I'm kind of ashamed that I have to do this, but here is where we are. And it was a necessary move in order to avoid the health system being overwhelmed. What's been interesting to watch is that, is that regardless of the country and regardless of that country's politics, and some have been a little bit more vaccine accepting, some have been more vaccine hesitant, 
The bottom line is that 12 months on, these countries are having to institute almost identical policies. Uh, and you know they come to it more or less reluctantly. But if you look across the board, it's really the same thing happening. Some countries will be at one extreme and they will mandate vaccines. That is the case for Austria. Germany will soon follow suit. But even countries that are not mandating vaccines, Isa, they're, they're kind of doing it in a roundabout way. Look at what Italy and France are doing. They have this uh, super vaccine pass. Italy calls it the green pass, the super green pass. France wants to um, have something similar starting next month, which would really pretty much keep the unvaccinated out of any public space. So that amounts to a quasi uh, vaccine mandate. And that is what more and more European countries are going to in the Netherlands and, and beyond. Cyril Vanier for us in Paris this hour. Great to see you, Cyril. Thanks very much. Now, across the Atlantic, the message on Omicron from Dr. Anthony Fauci is loud and clear. It's going to take, to take time, really. Uh, the health experts are urging people to get jabbed over the holidays with Moderna, saying its booster is effective against the variant. Jason Carroll is in New York, which has seen record numbers of COVID cases for three straight days. Uh, and Jason, uh, New York seems to be the epicenter of this surge in the United States. Give us a view, a view as a sense of what's being done there to try and contain the rise of these cases here. Right, it's a terrible case of deja vu, isn't it, Isa? Yeah. I mean, basically what city uh, health officials are trying to do to get ahead of this is to continue to encourage people to get vaccinated, doing it through mandates, doing it through public messaging, whatever they can do. I mean, health officials are looking at the COVID numbers here in New York City, and those numbers right here continue to go up. I mean, if you just look at some of the recent data that we're getting in, COVID cases in New York City more than doubled. Uh, compared to last week. Most of those cases, again, when you're looking at the numbers here, are among the unvaccinated. And despite all, the, all of that uh, rising in, in, in cases that we're seeing here, uh, health officials also say that they are not seeing the same level of substantial uh, rising in terms of numbers of hospitalizations or deaths. So there's that. But meanwhile, when you look across the city, you've got people waiting in line for hours trying to get testing ahead of the uh, ahead of the holidays. Those people trying to go into drugstores, trying to get at-home kits, finding that they're sold out. And so this morning, New York City's health commissioner weighed in on this issue, speaking to CNN, talking about what the city is trying to do to meet that need. We did see unprecedented demand over the last few days. Uh, we've ramped up testing. We're doing more testing per capita than just about any other place in the world. Uh, and we're going to continue to ramp it up to be able to meet it. Uh, for example, uh, we're adding uh, additional testing sites throughout this week. Um, we have a total of uh, 89 across the five boroughs of the city, uh, just in terms of city sites. And we're also uh, distributing half a million rapid test kits uh, through community-based organizations. We'll keep building upon that to meet the demand in the coming days. And so right now, Isa, as you can imagine, a lot of eyes are on Times Square right here where yeah. I am right now. New York City's mayor, Bill de Blasio, is saying that he's going to give it until Christmas before making any decision in terms of whether or not the ball will drop. But for right now, it is a go. Organizers are saying that anyone who plans to be out here in these pens on New Year's Eve will have to show proof of vaccination. They'll have to show their ID. Right now, they're not going to be requiring that people wear masks, but they are strongly encouraging it. 
Issa? Right, so we shall wait to see what happens to New Year's Eve parties there in Times Square. Jason Carroll for us, thank you very much indeed. Now, these are the other top stories making headlines right around the world. In Hong Kong, only about 30% of voters cast their ballots in Sunday's legislative election. That is the lowest turnout since Hong Kong's handover to China in 1997. For the first time, the Chinese government allowed only candidates considered patriots to stand for election. Beijing has blamed activists and foreign powers for the low voter turnout. More than 200 people have died and dozens more are missing after Super Typhoon Ray battered the Philippines. That is according to the Philippine National Police, though the official death count still stands just over 30. National Police say more than 230 people have suffered considerable injuries. The storm hit the Philippines last week with the strength of a Category 5 hurricane. And in Malaysia... Monsoon flooding has displaced more than 41,000 people. According to the state news agency, rescue efforts, as you can see there, are ongoing. Officials say hundreds of motorists had to be rescued from a stretch of highway on Saturday. Malaysia's prime minister promised in a Facebook post to devote $23 million to flood recovery efforts. Still to come right here on First Move, Moderna delivers a dose of hope. New studies show its booster is effective against the Omicron variant. And Chinese tennis star Peng Shuai now denies she made allegations of sexual abuse. We'll explain next. Welcome back to First Move, everyone. Uh, let's have a look at U.S. futures. And the last time I looked, they were looking lower. As you can see, red arrows there were about 10 minutes or so, less than 10 minutes until uh, Wall Street opens, the opening bell rings. But you can see concerns there over the global spread of the Omicron variant dominating the sentiment. Uh, a broad-based pullback on TAP with futures currently near session lows. Volume expected to be light ahead, of course, of the Christmas holiday. And that could only serve to really magnify the price swings. U.S. stocks coming off a losing week with the Nasdaq falling almost 3%, you can see there. The S&P dropped for the third time in four weeks. Uh, that said, let's put it in perspective, the S&P 500 comes in today's session still up more than 1% this month and less than 2% away from records. The S&P still up more than 20% year to date too. Important context needed there. Jeffrey Glentop joins me now. He's the Managing Director and Chief Global Investment Strategy at Charles Schwab. Jeffrey, great to have you on the show once more. Look, there's so much for us to digest here. Let's start, start off with these moves that we're seeing in the stock markets this morning. Uh, I, I suspect it's a fear here, Jeffrey, of further restrictions and how that might impact global economic growth. How, how do you interpret it? Yeah, well, it's, it's certainly the, even the new restrictions we're seeing in in uh, Den uh, in uh, well, yeah, in, in Denmark, but also in the Netherlands and a few other places that are contemplating new COVID-related restrictions here in the coming weeks, and and the weight that could put on economic activity. It's also the failure of the Build Back Better Act in the U.S. and the fact that that may not be passed means lower inflation, but possibly lower growth as well in the U.S. as we look out to 2022. So all of these pressures weighing down in the market are certainly uh, holding stocks down today. I wouldn't be surprised to see the classic defensive leadership from tech and healthcare holding up better than the rest of the market today, as is often the case when we see these Omicron waves tied to concerns about weaker economic growth. And I'm glad you mentioned, mentioned Senator Manchin's refusal, uh, basically, to back the Build Back Better legislation, because I suspect here, Jeffrey, the markets were pricing in some sort of support or backing from Manchin here. 
Yeah, I think they were. I think the, the consensus was that this would eventually get done. It would take a little bit of time in the early part of next year. But most forecasters uh, on, of the political landscape felt that this was an inevitable deal. For the last six months, the Democrats have attempted to placate Manchin, and the thought was that they were getting closer to a deal. Uh, the fact that the deal had been whittled down so much, they thought they were closer to, to something happening. The fact that this doesn't appear to happen means we could be facing pretty much a gridlocked year for 2022 ahead of those midterm elections, which means... Uh, uh, you know, the, the market's going to be drifting a little bit here as it's uh, maybe focused a little bit more on maybe regulatory policy initiatives from the Biden administration rather than anything on the legislative front. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about the regulatory in just a moment, but on, on Manchin here and, and this move by him, do you think, Jeffrey, at all, that this has any sort of impact on growth? Because from what I saw, Goldman Sachs is now dimming its economic outlook because of this decision. Some of this spending was intended to be rolled out here right in 2022. So yes, at the margin, it is less fiscal support for the U.S. economy. Yeah. Now, that's something the Fed will have to consider as it uh, thinks about tightening monetary policy next year. Perhaps less will be needed. Well, he, he had said that one of his main concerns, Senator Manchin's main concerns besides debt, was actually inflation. How founded are these worries, would you say, Jeffrey? I believe that, we believe at, at Charles Schwab that inflation will be fading next year. It may actually end the year close to the Fed's target zone. So we think that while inflation fears uh, are, are high right now, they may be peaking. Okay, but there's the action, for example, that you've been seeing in the bond market. Does that bear this out? Because yields haven't really moved higher even after the Fed's new projections here. Yeah, and I think that's maybe because the, the bond market was expecting the Fed now to maybe move three times or even more next year. And the idea that that would weigh on economic growth and contain rates at the longer end of the yield curve, even as the shorter end rises. So we often see this, this move towards a flattening of the yield curve as the market begins to price in these rate hikes. That was That's fairly typical. I think now if the idea is that maybe inflation may recede a little bit, we may not get as much pressure from, uh, from, from this legislation, maybe the Fed won't be forced to act as aggressively in the near end of the curve, and that might allow the curve to steepen up just a little bit. And as you and I are talking, if I can bring, uh, bring the, the stock prices, uh, stock market moves just up, the, we're expecting, what, six minutes or so to go until we're seeing the start of, of, of wall trade, uh, trading on Wall Street. As you can see, the S&P 500 and Nasdaq down. But despite the moves today, uh, Jeffrey, the stock market is still near kind of record highs. Is this reason to be optimistic here as we're heading to 2022? I'm trying to end on a more positive note, as you can tell. <laughs> <laughs> and I think there, there are good reasons for that. Economic growth remains on an upward trajectory. Earnings revisions remain strong. Every earnings season this year, companies have exceeded estimates. We're going to be heading into an earnings season just about you know four weeks or so from now. And I think that will be a positive tone for the market. So as we can set some of these issues behind us, and we can't really put Omicron behind us, but maybe as we get more information, information and it appears to be less severe, maybe the fears of additional lockdowns will fade away. Along with that, maybe a return to corporate fundamentals, which remain quite strong. Uh, what will change that then in that case? Because we're seeing the numbers obviously continue to surge in Europe, restrictions coming into place, expectations, and at least in the UK, the numbers will get, will only increase in terms of uh, not just hospitalization, but infections here in the UK likelihood of that uh, arriving in the U.S. in the next few weeks. What is your biggest fear here? That is, that's certainly a big concern. I, I think what 
watching the impact of, uh, of how this unfolds in high, more highly vaccinated populations is going to be very important. A number of countries have ruled out further lockdown restrictions. So we'll have to see how that goes. The U.S. is more in the live with it rather than uh, a lockdown mode. So yeah. there may be less of an economic impact in the U.S. But certainly that'll be an important thing to watch. And of course, the impact that this could have on exacerbating what already, you know, supply chain problems uh, around the world. So that's that's critical, at least yeah. here for the next several weeks. Such a good point. Uh, thank you, Jeffrey Klemtop, the Managing Director and Chief Global Investment Thanks, Strategy at Charles Schwab. Have a wonderful Christmas. Thank you. You do as well. And do stay with us for First Move. We have the market open next. It's the start of a trading day on Wall Street and the start of a shortened trading week. Welcome back to First Move. U.S. stocks, we have a look up and running this Monday. And as we told you in the last 30 minutes or so at the top of the show, got a lower open across the board uh, for the major averages. Uh, the Dow Jones there down one and three tenths of a percent. It really is a mixture of Omicron fears as well as concerns that the U.S. Congress won't pass robust fiscal stimulus for Americans next year. Goldman Sachs, we told you uh, at the top of the show as well, is lowering its 2022 economic forecast on news that holdout Senator Joe Manchin will refuse to back the Build Back Better spending social uh, bill. Uh, and you can see their stocks reacting to all those concerns. Uh, Dow Jones down one and three tenths of percent. Dasak uh, down almost two percent. Uh, a similar picture, S&P 500, one and three tenths of percent. So we'll keep an eye on those numbers. Vaccine makers are a big gainers, though, in early trading. Moderna, as you can see down, up almost uh, almost eight percent, rallying on positive news about the efficacy of its COVID vaccine booster. We'll have more in just a moment. And Novavax is getting EU emergency use approval for its vaccine, hence why you're seeing its stock now up seven percent. Deliveries to EU countries could begin as soon as the first quarter. So plenty for us to talk about. Matt Egan joins us now for more on the markets. So Matt, uh, as we look at these markets, you know, they really, as you and I well know, they don't like uncertainty. And that's exactly what they're facing here. Restrictions, potentially lockdowns in some countries uh, and concerns once again about global growth. You said that's right. Uh, COVID fears are clearly back on Wall Street and around the world. Uh, there is a lot of concern right now about what the yeah. rapid spread of cases and um, the return of some health restrictions is going to mean to the economic recovery. Uh, we know that uh, these cases have been very disruptive. Um, in the United States, we've seen Broadway shows canceled. Uh, sports games have been postponed. Um, office openings have either been delayed or or canceled altogether. Um, and, and that is very disruptive uh, to the economy. I think what's harder to judge is is the the shifts in behavior that consumers are going to take just because they're they're nervous about the worsening health situation. Um, and, you know, that that might mean taking fewer vacations and not going to the movies, not going out to eat. Um, and so we've seen uh, travel stocks take a hit. Uh, so far today, we've seen um, Airbnb, uh, hotel companies like Marriott, uh, Delta Airlines, JetBlue. Um, also, of course, the, the, the cruise lines like Carnival and Royal Caribbean, all of them losing ground. Um, some of the stay-at-home stocks, uh, most notably Zoom, are doing um, a bit better. Uh, there's also, as you mentioned, uh, some more uncertainty about the fiscal situation um, after uh, Senator Joe Manchin, the West Virginia Democrat, came out and announced he's opposing Build Back Better. Uh, that's the uh, President Biden's $1.75 trillion uh, really legislative uh, centerpiece. 
we waste no wasted no time. Goldman Sachs immediately uh, downgrading its economic view in the wake of uh, of that news. They no longer think build back better is going to happen. Uh, for markets, I think that kind of cuts both ways, though, because on the one hand, it means less demand, less um, support for the economy, because uh, one of the big pieces there was the child tax credit, and that's going away. Um, but also, it means no corporate tax hike, and that was a negative. For the market. So there's some push and pull there. Um, I do think that clearly the COVID situation is, is a big negative for uh, investors right now, Issa. Yeah, indeed. And I know that, like you said, uh, Manchin's decision not to back uh, President Biden's Build Back Better plan, I think uh, a lot of the stock markets are already priced that in. Let's talk about oil, though, because this morning when I was doing my show at about nine o'clock this morning in London, oil was up something like 5%, uh, seeing quite a slump. I think it's eased somewhat since then. But again, Matt, fears over demand here. Yeah, absolutely. That's all about demand. Um, oil, both uh, the U.S. benchmark and, and Brent, I think down around 4% at last Correct. check. Um, that is a big move. And, and that is driven by concerns that um, you know, people might be traveling less. They're going to be commuting less. Um, I mean, I, I, normally I would be in the office. I'm not today because of COVID. Um, and there's a lot of other people in that same situation. People are going to be delaying vacations. Uh, office or uh, business travel is a big deal. Uh, that's another thing that's going to take a hit. And remember, oil, we, we really pay very close attention to oil prices um, in part because it is a proxy for confidence in the recovery. And so right after um, Thanksgiving in, in the United States, we saw uh, financial markets really take a big hit. You know, oil was leading the way down then. Uh, it was the oil's worst day since uh, April 2020 um, because of all of this uncertainty about what Omicron means uh, for demand. And mm. uh, also, this also puts a um, different light around the OPEC decisions uh, because OPEC has been criticized by the White House for being sort of uh, reluctant to aggressively pump more oil. Um, but all of this concern about demand, I think, sort of makes uh, OPEC's decision making seem a little bit more reasonable because uh, there is a lot of uncertainty here, Lisa. Yeah, and that's exactly what I was going to ask you. I mean, looking WTI crude down 4%, Brent crude almost 4%. I mean, I suppose that perhaps puts more pressure on OPEC, like you said, Mac, to, to take action quicker here? Yeah, I, I think that um, there was some, some surprise that OPEC went ahead in the most recent meeting and um, they decided to continue their plan to uh, pump more oil, uh, just gradually adding, I think it was 400,000 barrels per day. Um, and yeah, I think if we see continued pressure on oil, if we see uh, the rapid spread of COVID around the world, and we see the return of some health restrictions, most notably in Europe, I do think that there would be some reason for OPEC to maybe pause on these um, production increases and say, you know, we're going to wait and see here. Because remember, we were looking at oil prices around, uh, you know, $85 a barrel, um, and they've come down really significantly in, in a short amount of time. Some of that is because the United States and other countries have released emergency barrels. But also another huge factor has been uh, these demand concerns. And so we, you have to wonder whether OPEC uh, rethinks its strategy at the next, at the next meeting. Indeed. Matt Egan for us there. Thanks very much, uh, Matt. Good, great to see you. Thank you. Uh, coming up right here on the show, a concerning new turn in a story that's really dominated world sport as well as beyond. China tennis star Peng Shuai is now denying she made accusations against a Beijing official. We have the full details just ahead. Welcome back, everyone. Now, the vaccine maker Moderna has new data pointing to the strength of its boosters compared 
to only having two vaccine shots. Moderna CEO has described the data as reassuring. Senior medical correspondent Elizabeth Cohen joins me now. Uh, Elizabeth, what more do we know at this stage about Moderna's booster shots? Do we know how effective they are against Omicron here? Isa, we actually don't. What we know is that the booster that's currently out there, which is 50 micrograms, does some good, but it's not clear how much good. So let's take a look at what Moderna found. According to their press release, they say that the current booster, which is 50 micrograms, micrograms, boosted antibodies. But just because you see an antibody boost in the lab doesn't mean that it helps people in real life. They also found that 100 micrograms boosted antibodies even higher, but that's not the booster that's out there. And they say that the uh, it's, it's, it's clear from their press release, et cetera, the effectiveness of either dose against Omicron is unclear. It's also unclear if it is effective, how long that effectiveness will last, the durability. There are some questions about that, not just for Moderna, but for other vaccines vaccines as well. So I think the bottom line here is that a booster is better than not having a booster. Um, it's if the antibodies are going up, even if we're not quite clear on what that means, it is better than having a lower level of antibodies. So the advice, at least in the United States, is still the same. You need to get vaccinated. That's the most important thing. And when it comes to your time, which in the U.S. is six months after your second shot of Moderna or Pfizer, go ahead and get your booster. Isa. And is that because, is, are they unsure whether, you know, it fights against Omicron because Omicron hadn't yet, you know, uh, been found? We didn't know about it because we're testing something completely different. Why is that? So the vaccines were tested back in 2020 on real live people, on tens of thousands of them. Right. But Omicron didn't exist. So we don't know what happens. There was no clinical trial with Omicron. Obviously, it's so new. So we need to, this is going to be not a clinical trial as much as like real life experience. You know, what we've heard from South Africa is that when people get Omicron, it helps to be vaccinated and that the infections or the illnesses tend to be mild. Hopefully that's true in other countries as well. But what you see in the lab, which is what Moderna pointed, uh, did today, what you see in the lab is not always what happens in real life. It's, It's sometimes hard to connect those two. Elizabeth Cohen for us there. Thanks very much, Elizabeth. Appreciate it. Now, tennis star Peng Shui is denying she made abuse accusations against a retired Chinese official. In an interview with a Singapore-based Chinese-language newspaper, Peng said she never spoken or written about anyone sexually assaulting her. That is despite claims made on a now-deleted post on a social media account. The case is still not being reported in China, and this is what Peng has said. Had a listen. I want to emphasize one thing that is very important, that I have never spoken or written about anyone sexually assaulting me. This point is very important to be emphasized clearly. In terms of the Weibo post, first of all, it's my personal privacy. There possibly has been a lot of misunderstanding. Let's get more on the story. Will, please, following the story for us from Hong Kong. And Will, does this ease concerns at all about her well-being? Not from the perspective of the Women's Tennis Association, Isa, which continues to say that this video, while it's good, they say, to see her out and about, she was at a skiing competition in Shanghai on Sunday, they're still concerned that she's not speaking freely, that she's not being coached or coerced or silenced. They're still calling for a free, fair, and transparent investigation without censorship into her original allegations of sexual assault. She's now saying they weren't sexual assault. She's saying it was a misunderstanding. But if you read that initial Weibo post, she clearly laid out in very emotional detail what is widely 
perceived as a claim of sexual assault at the hands of a much older, much more powerful, retired Communist Party leader. So even though now she's saying that she's always been free, that she was grateful to have those video calls with the International Olympic Committee, of course, they were widely criticized for those calls, which were never actually released. They just released one still image, uh, you know, saying that she actually never wrote that someone sexually assaulted her. Her post, which was erased within 30 minutes, is still censored in China, still not discussed in China, as you mentioned. And this foreign media outlet, yes, it's foreign media, it's not Chinese state media, but it's the only Chinese language newspaper that's allowed to be sold in mainland China. And it's the only one that's not censored by the Chinese firewall. So mainland audiences can actually read it because its coverage usually has a very pro-Beijing stance. So still a lot of unanswered questions here, despite this new interview, Issa. And has the WTA been able to speak to her? Been, I mean, she's being interviewed by this Singapore news-based newspaper. Has the WTA been able to speak to her, you know, face to face in many ways? She claimed in this interview that she sent those emails to the WTA and to the head of the WTA herself. Emails that had a lot of legal sounding language retracting her allegations that were widely uh, seen as very skeptical at best and certainly were not believed by the WTA. Look, she's had weeks since this initial post on November 2nd to be potentially coached by people, which we know happens uh, to people who are arrested and detained in China, and then end up making these, you know, confessions that are that they later will reveal were actually forced confessions on Chinese state media. So the things that Peng Shui is saying are just in line with what Chinese state media reporters have been tweeting, even though they're ignoring this story inside their own country. And the Women's Tennis Association, despite receiving emails from Peng, hasn't been able to get on the phone directly with her and didn't get a response to their emails that they sent, other than these kind of carefully scripted emails that they say they've received. I mean, this story has so many of us really scratching our heads. Uh, Will Ripley there for us. Thank you very much, Will. Good to see you. Now, stock markets in Chile have fallen following the country's presidential runoff election. And let me show you how the Santiago Stock Exchange is doing right now. If we bring up the numbers, bear with me. Uh, down almost 4% there. Now, leftist Gabriel Boric uh, will become Chile's next leader after defeating his conservative rival. Rafael Romo puts it all in perspective for you. He's 35 years old, a former student leader and has the support of the country's Communist Party. Gabriel Boric will be Chile's next president. The former congressman and leftist leader garnered more than 55% of the vote on Sunday's runoff elections. His rival, conservative attorney Jose Antonio Cast, quickly conceded defeat, saying he had called Boric less than two hours after polls closed. Boric's victory was also swiftly recognized by current president Sebastián Piñera, who had a video conference call with the winner moments later. You are going to be one of the youngest presidents of recent times, and people should know how to combine strength, idealism, and the spirit of youth with prudence and the experience of gray hair. So I want to invite you tomorrow to have a work meeting so we can talk about very important subjects for Chile. After a tooth and nail campaign in a very polarized country, Boric was ready to turn the page when he addressed Chileans. After winning the election, he thanks his supporters and said he will be a president for all Chileans. Compatriots, I will be the president of all Chileans, of those who voted for this movement, of those who today fill the squares of all of Chile, of those who chose another alternative, and of those who did not vote, we will be there for you. 
Boric made a lot of promises during his campaign, promises that could prove hard to keep. He's going to have a very hard time. You know, uh, he's uh, confronting a, a deadlocked Congress. He's got a constitutional convention. Uh, he's got a very fractious coalition. It's not clear what role the Communist Party is going to play in his coalition, whether the Socialist Party will join or not. Uh, and he's got a difficult economic situation. We're coming out of the pandemic and the economic effects of that. And he's, as you say, he's made a lot of promises that cost a lot of money. Many of the things coming out of the constitutional convention are, uh, you know, social and political rights are likely to you know, have a, an effect on, 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 on the fiscal spending. And so he's going to have a hard time meeting all of that. Leaders from across Latin America and the Caribbean, including Presidents Miguel Diaz-Canel of Cuba and Colombia's Ivan Duque, congratulated the new president-elect. Boric will take office on March 11th for a four-year term. Rafael Romo, CNN, Santiago, Chile. Thank you, Rafael. Coming up right here on the show, we have a rough start to trading week on Wall Street. Don't take my word for it. Look at those numbers. More on what's driving the negative sentiment next. Welcome back to First Move. If you're just joining as well, there's lots going on this Monday on global stock markets. A quick check of the Turkish lira has fallen to a fresh all-time low against the U.S. dollar after President Erdogan once again defended the rate cuts that have fueled inflation in this country. As you can see there, U.S. dollar versus the lira up 70%, uh, the U.S. dollar to the lira. Meantime, U.S. stocks are beginning a holiday shortened trading week. Well, in the red, the Dow Jones there down more than 1.5%, similar picture with the Nasdaq, as well as the S&P 500. Lots of uncertainty remains over how the Omicron variant will impact economic growth. Paul and Monica joins me now. Paul, great to have you on the show this morning. There is so much really happening this morning, concerns of over Omicron, uh, perhaps new restrictions, perhaps lockdown, then uh, Senator Manchin's decision to pull out. Uh, how, do you, how do you square this all up? I mean, what is really rattling markets this morning? Yeah, I think you nailed it. He said it's a combination of these two very negative headlines. We have more potential worries about, if not necessarily a return to March 2020, because of all the people that are vaccinated, people are definitely nervous again. And we are seeing some restrictions as a result of the Omicron variant and the rise of COVID cases. But that obviously in of itself, I don't think would have caused this sell off. It really is being fueled by concerns that stimulus from Washington is not going to happen to the same extent that people were hoping for because of Senator Manchin saying no to the Build Back Better bill. So Joe Biden has to go back to the drawing board in early 2022 to try and find some other way to maybe get a smaller stimulus package through that could help consumers and the American economy. And explain to our viewers, Paul, why this would impact really the stock markets. Why, for example, Goldman Sachs saying this would actually, uh, you know, slim the, its economic outlook here. Yeah, I mean, I think the hope was that Washington, it was a no brainer that there would be more stimulus, even though there are legitimate concerns about inflation right now. And obviously that's something that many lawmakers in Republican, many Republican lawmakers are concerned mm -hmm. about, and at least one major Democratic senator in Joe Manchin. So Goldman Sachs pointing out that without this bill going through, you could have the economic recovery not be as robust as hoped for. And I think with stocks near record highs, even with this pullback we've seen lately, 
a lot of enthusiasm was baked into stock prices that 2022 would be another strong year for economic growth. And now that's in question, especially because of the rise of the variant. Yeah, and like you said, I think so so much of this was already priced in, the fact that it perhaps would go through. Uh, and clearly, uh, that was quite an, a shock to the economic community there. Paula Monica, great to see you, my friend. Thank you very much. Thank you. Now, movie theatres have been desperate for a massive blockbuster since the pandemic, as you can imagine. And now they've got their superhero. The entire world is about to forget that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. Wait, everyone? The latest Marvel movie, Spider-Man No Way Home, saw the third largest opening weekend in history. Sony says it racked in more than $253 million in North America. Uh, it's incredible that this is happening uh, during a pandemic. It is amazing Spider-Man indeed. And finally, on first move, Japanese billionaire Yusaku Maezawa is back on Earth after spending 11 days on the International Space Station. The fashion magnet is the first tourist to reach the space station in more than a decade. He returned on board a Russian Soyuz spacecraft landing in Kazakhstan such a short time ago. He traveled with his production assistant who documented the journey and a Russian cosmonaut who piloted the round trip. The cost of the trip was not disclosed, uh-huh, but some reports have put it as high as $50 million. He's back just in time for Christmas. And that does it for us here on First Move. Thanks very much for joining us. I'm Isa Suarez. Connect the World with Becky Anderson is next. Do stay right here with CNN. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.